Blog Talk Radio. Good evening and blessings and welcome to another installment of the Gist of Freedom Estate. This show is produced by acclaimed historian, educator, and author Leslie Gist and serves as our weekly live online discussion to celebrate the African-American experience by honoring all the people past and present, black and white, who with faith and focus are preserving our rich history through literature, the arts, the skilled trades, and the humanities. We thank you for joining us tonight, and we'd love you to be a part of tonight's discussion by calling in with your comments or questions to 347-324-5552. Good evening, everyone. My name is Preston Washington. I'm your host this evening for the Gist of Freedom, coming to you out of Kansas City, Missouri, where I am a genealogist and the president of the Midwest Afro-American Genealogical Interest Coalition. My guest tonight is Adam Tullich, and Adam's going to be talking to us about a freed or an enslaved African who finally won his freedom by the name of Orlando Iguano. Hope I got that right. And it's about the play uh, that Mr. Tullich has written and produced, Great Britain's Production. And the play is called Olanda Equiano, the Enslaved African. Good evening, Mr. College. Good evening. Thank you for having me tonight. Thanks for uh, yeah. taking time out of your busy schedule to be with us. Really looking forward to this. No I think, yeah, yeah, I'm sure that a lot of our audience has not heard of this gentleman. Could you tell us a little bit about how you discovered him and how you got into it and a little bit of his history? Yes, of course I can. So, Alaudo Equiano, uh, he was actually born in, in Iboland in about 1745, um, and he was kidnapped at the age of 11, along with his sister, and he was transported to the coast of West Africa, um, and then he was sold to British traders, and he was shipped all around the world, so he was, spent some time in Barbados, and then in Virginia, and then he came on to London, and he played a pivotal role in the uh, anti-slavery movement over here, so he's really a fascinating figure. Uh, very complex, and he's got to uh, play a pivotal role, really, in British history and the abolitionist uh, movement over here. I see. I understand that he um, wrote one of the first uh, narratives relative to the Middle Passage. Yep. Um, that book is, is, is a, a fascinating account of the Middle Passage, and it's one of the only rare... It's a rare account, really. Unfortunately, there aren't many accounts that document the Middle Passage. So it's a really useful piece of text, and especially for us as theatre makers and practitioners to really get an understanding of, of what that must have been like and try and recreate that in our productions. Uh, what is his connection to William Wilberforce? Yeah, well, uh, William Wilberforce and allowed it Kwan had a great uh, relationship, actually. In fact, they spent a lot of time together Um and uh, allowed it, Kriana was present at a lot of uh, Wilberforce's meetings, in fact. Um, I did a great deal of research for that, for the production. Um, and whilst we don't touch on, on their relationship as such, um, William Wilberforce really assisted allowed it, Kriana, um with his movement, and especially some of his writings and his speeches that he'd made uh, right here in London, actually. And a lot of his writings 
um, he actually produced alongside Wilberforce, so they did have a great relationship there. Okay, so Iquano was working basically on the British side and was instrumental in the abolition or abolition of uh, slavery there, or the British slave trade. Yeah, exactly. That's correct, and also obviously that did have ramifications. Um, for the for the worldwide uh, abolition, but uh, yes, he was at that time specifically focusing on on the British uh, abolition and really uh, lobbying and putting a lot of pressure on the British government to to make change. Really. So, what is the rest of that backstory that uh, England ended slavery before the United States did? <laughs> well, yes, I mean, obviously, slavery still continued after its its abolition in eighteen o seven. Um, but I guess uh, Britain did play a pivotal role in that, and especially it was figures like Equiano and Cogano, um, and also the efforts of, of people such as Wilberforce, who together really uh, playing an instrumental role in in, in campaigning for for that abolition. Okay, so and tell us about uh, there's something about a play or a movie called uh, Amazing Grace which is about William Wilberforce. Um, yes. You know about that scene wherein uh, Wilberforce tricks some politicians? Yes. I've, I've, I'm not exactly uh, very familiar with the film. I've only seen a, a few parts of it. Um, I deliberately didn't want to watch it while I was actually working on, on our production and writing that, simply because I didn't want to be influenced by it. I, re I really wanted to create my own interpretation of, of Alaudio Kiano's life and and the British interpretation. So most of my research was con uh, conducted in archives and also reading uh, Equiano's book. Um, so I, I I haven't actually spent a lot of time looking at that film, unfortunately, but it is something I, I'm very interested in looking at um, once I finish working on the pr uh, production and comparing sort of our portrayal with uh, events portrayed in that film. Well, as I understand it, uh, Wilberforce tricked some politicians onto a slave tri uh, ship, opened up the bowels yep. of the, uh, the the ship, and the stench was so powerful that it made the yep. uh, politicians sick, and which uh, yep. led them on to uh, abolish uh, slave trade. Uh, so your play yep. uh, is based on your research, and uh, where's your play... Uh, where is it being put, uh, put on right now? And um, tell us yeah. a little bit about that. Yeah, well, right, we've actually just got back. We were up in Edinburgh um, touring up there for the Fringe Festival in August, um, and we had some great reviews. So now we've transferred uh, to the Sutton House, which is uh, an old uh, building. It's one of the oldest buildings, actually, in East London, so it's a perfect setting um, for the production. And it's very site-specific, so a lot of it takes place uh, in in the in a cellar, um, which we're using as a sort of prison cell um, type thing, where where slaves would have been held and where Quiano and his sister are held when they are captured, before they're being transported around uh, the coast of West Africa. Um, and the hope is after we're only there for four nights, and then the hope is that we do travel around the rest of the UK after that, um, specifically looking at maybe cities like Liverpool and Nottingham, um, and also maybe abroad if possible. Yeah, and why you? What drew you to this story? 
Um, I, I read the book, interesting enough, when I was around the same age as Equiano was when he would have been captured. So when I was about 11, I read the book and I was fascinated by it. I mean, he's such a, um, and especially his account of the Middle Passage really drew me in. So I guess with the success of 12 Years a Slave um, and obviously Bell as well more recently, I just thought the time was right to hear about uh, the British experience and, and you know, what, what British um, what was going on in Britain during the time of, of the abolition and also the role that figures such as Equiano and Cugano played in that because, you know, I, I do feel as though they have slightly been neglected um, throughout history. So I, I, I feel as though the time was right um, latching on to the success of, of 12 Years a Slave and Bell to produce that. You know, you mentioned uh, 12 Years a Slave. How was that received in the UK? And how was uh, Django received in the UK? We talk about slave Yeah, well, yeah um, I think Django over here had a bit of a mixed reception. Um, but 12 Years a Slave w- was received very well over here. Um, it was a very powerful piece that was was definitely received very well, especially um, Queen being um, British. Um, so it did go down. It was very good. It was a very moving, moving piece. Um, I think it is is difficult. It's very difficult producing a film or a play about slavery, and I, it is a very touchy subject. But I think it it was a very powerful and moving piece that really resonated with a lot of people. And I think its great success, or one of its great successes, was drawing a new audience in. So people who wouldn't have, say, been interested about in, in slavery or wouldn't have known much, really drawing the mass, a mass of people in. Um, and I think that was one of its greatest successes, um, over here especially. What about the movie Bell? Bell, yeah, Bell, Bell did quite well as well over here. Um, I think it was, uh, people were very interested to see a, a female uh, perspective um, on that um, I think that went down. But I haven't seen that myself yet. I was very uh, bogged down with uh, Kriana, so I haven't managed to catch that yet. Um, but no, I hear that's been, that went down very well over here as well. And I understand that the play that you are putting on is not recommended for children under the age of 16. Uh, tell us a little bit about yeah. that. you got some scenes in there that uh, aren't quite appropriate for them. Can you give us an idea? Yeah, I mean... We- Exactly. Yeah, I mean, we set the the age bar at 16 because uh, there are one or two scenes that are a little bit graphic, and we didn't want to to to, to frighten anyone. I mean, there's one scene with a whip um, where the slave trader does go to whip one of his uh, one of his slaves, uh, who is in fact Equiano's sister, and and I, I mean, we didn't feel as though that was suitable for you know the children under 16. That's why we imposed that. Um, but we are looking at creating a, a version that can go into schools and be for younger children. Um, that's not as brutal, but still as uh, as powerful and still resonates with them. So we are looking at that. Mm, okay. And you also mentioned that you were about the same age, um, 11, that Equino was when he yep. was kidnapped. Uh, from where was he kidnapped? And was anyone else in his family kidnapped with him? Yeah, so he was kidnapped. Um, he was born in the Iboi province, um, and he was actually kidnapped uh, there. The region is sort of uh, what's now known as uh, southern Nigeria. Um, and at the time, he was kidnapped with his sister. 
uh, they were actually playing, um, and she was kidnapped with him as well. Um, and what I what I wanted to focus on is specifically is their relationship that they would have had, and what that would have been like be, uh, being kidnapped together. Um, unfortunately, there isn't a lot of research on his sister. You know, she's rarely mentioned in the book um, and also in other sources. Um, but I guess the the nature of their relationship and and how that altered over time is something that we specifically wanted to to home in on and, and really focus on and capture. And um, so eventually, now he came over on the Middle Passage, and um, yeah, what was his story in America after he landed? Did he go through several owners? Uh, was he well treated? Yeah. educated. Yeah, he went. He had a, a, a number of owners actually. Um, his perspective is complex because he he did, uh, you know, he he did get he did get some privileges. I mean, he, he was able to he was able to to, to read to learn to read, and he, you know, he was given special privileges and and, and special treatment uh, to whatever degree that was. So his experience is not universal, um, and he did have a variety of owners, and he did. Um, undertake various roles that you know most of the slaves didn't occupy um so it is a complex experience but yeah he he did he, he was shipped around as he spent some time in barbados and then into virginia um and, and then over to england so he was really transported around so it's a really complex um and interesting journey really it's a, especially his account of the middle passage it's 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 very moving it's very powerful even today yeah. So was it an American Quaker that uh, finally gave him his freedom, or did he have to buy his freedom? Well, he actually he bought his freedom. Um, he bought it. So he'd actually learned to write, um, and he would trade words. He would trade words for um, for bread and that kind of thing. Um, and then he eventually saved up, and then he bought his um, freedom. It was it only took him three years actually. Um, and then he actually spent most 20 years traveling around the world um, after that. So he did he did save up what he could and, and, and bought his freedom. And um, what other name was he known by? Uh, that's Gustavus Vaza. Um, that's a name that he was given. Um, and that was yeah. He, that's a name he was given um, a lot later. Um, I think it was. Don't quote me on this, but I think it was Michael uh, Pascal um, who labelled him that name. Um, and it's something he does use on his on his in his book as well. He uses that on the. Um, but that yeah, that is the name. That's he's also known by that as well. And that's sort of his western when he was uh, west when his owners tried to really westernise him. That's the name that they they gave him. Um, during that time, and that's also the time, of course, that he was um, baptized and, and really taught to read and write. Um, that they that he was given that name. And um, are there any other similar stories? Any other similar individuals um, in the UK that were of African descent and involved in the abolitionist movement that we Americans may not know about? Yeah, I mean, in once Equiano returned uh, to London after he bought his freedom, he was involved in in a group of um, of uh, former slaves 
and they were called that was group, group was called the Son of Africa, uh, Sons of Africa, and that was a group of twelve um, twelve men who campaigned for for the abolition and really put pressure on them. Um, a, a few of them, obviously, a lot of their names have gone have vanished throughout history, but uh, people like Kugano, um, his account is also very um, very powerful and very moving. Um, there's also uh, Ignatius Sancho, his his, um, his letters that he produced uh, campaigning for the abolition are also really powerful. So those two works are works that I would really um, recommend um, and also works that I was drawn to when I was researching um, the production. So those two names are really two key ones. Okay, and you mentioned that uh, his narrative is about the Middle Passage. Uh, were there any similarities in his narrative and that of the movie Amistad? that we saw there. Does his yes. account um, pretty much, or the Amistad, was yeah, it true I to mean, the account the, the that he wrote? Com- yeah, I mean, they do complement each other. I think the, the thing with that Kuyano story is that that was, he's really referring to his experiences when he was a child. Um, so his treatment and what he's, and the way he describes uh, the Middle Passage is very different from that in the film. Um, because what he's looking at is he's looking at the, he's exploring the relationships that were that were on the ship. So he's you know he's longing to be returned to his father and his mother and the relationships that he built with the other women on, on the slave ship and the men. Um, because obviously as a child he was treated very differently. He was kept in a different part of the ship. Um, he was given different privileges. He was given you know different. Um, I wouldn't say freedom, that's the wrong word, but different opportunities and different, he was treated very differently. Um, but in general, they do complement each other um, and they do reveal the, the horror uh, of the Middle Passage um, and also its longevity um, uh, and the anguish and pain that was that was encountered during that period. Mm-hmm. How are the Brits reacting to the growing racial tension here in the United States, particularly in the state that I'm in, Missouri, where we're awaiting uh, a yeah. grand jury decision on a uh, uh, pr- police brutality case. Uh, how's that playing out in Britain? Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of support um, for that over here. Um, there's been a few protests um, that I know of, and there's been a lot of uh, there's a lot of activism, activism going on um, uh, for that. And there is a lot of support and unity um, over here for that. Um, we're all. Uh, waiting for that result, um, but there definitely is. There's been a lot of activism um, and a lot of support, and I guess that's the beauty of uh, of social media nowadays that you can, you know, have worldwide support and, and messages do reach different parts of the world, and they do inspire other people to take action um, and educate people about what what's really going on in different parts. Um, but there is definitely there's a lot of support and unity for that, and and there that that will continue. Um, that definitely will continue. Yeah, and there's a lot of support around the world from Brazil, Hong Kong, Asia, Gaza. Yeah. yeah. Uh, is there any similar yeah. tension within the UK? Um, Not, you know. Yeah. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Yeah. No. Um, there are. I, I. I think over uh, in the UK, I think we we have gone. We have come a long way in terms of racial tensions. I do think that things have—they're um, not perfect by any means—but I, I do think things have developed, especially a lot since the 70s, um, when things, you know, 
certain streets I wouldn't be able to to, to, to live on um, or, or even walk down safely. I, I think there is a long way to go, but there is tensions are are improving, and I know that um, the police definitely are, are now really trying to 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 develop ties, closer ties with the community, with with different communities now, and really. Um, try and build on that and work on that and strengthen it but obviously things are not perfect um but i think the uk i think we we are getting there uh slowly but now i think we're getting there okay getting back to mr equano um yep after his freedom life uh as i understand it became uh very stressful for him did he um how did he handle it was uh, i understand there might have been some attempts at suicide Yes, there were, yes. Um, quite a few attempts, even even from a very young age. Um, there were a few, a, a, few, a few attempts at suicide. Um, but um, he definitely, um, his later life, he definitely, uh, well, he, he obviously survived it and, and he pulled through. And he, I guess he, he diverted all his energies into, into, into the campaigning and into working with, with uh, Kugano and Sancho and Wilberforce and really... Um, trying to to end it and document his horrors. And I, I guess the way he saw um, his way of dealing with that and handling with it, and, and I guess the, the longing to be reunited with his, his sister and his family, and, and I guess that, that that's how he dealt with that. And I understand that before his uh, kidnapping, he was very close to his mother. Yes, he was. Yep. Extremely close. Um Extremely close, and especially the beginning of the book is creates a very. Uh, it's the first chapter. It, it's a great chapter, one of my favourite ones, actually, and and that it, it really um, documents that and his relationships um, with his mother, and 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 that is something that we do portray. It's very uh, in the production, um, and especially his sister and how uh, later on that developed, and that's what I mean. I meant earlier when I talked about the relationships on the uh, during the middle passage and. And I guess the most moving thing uh, for the reader is is, is that that longing, um, you know, talking to to the to the women on the ship and trying to see them as a mother or father figure because he didn't he he, he longed to have that again and and he didn't he didn't have that um, even in his later life. So I, it's yeah, it's very moving. Yeah, yeah, he really survived the worst uh, from what we know, particularly around that middle yeah. passage. And I guess the stress exactly. was uh, pretty strong and missing his mother yeah. and the attention that she gave him. Now, he was born exactly. about 1745, and by yeah. 1765 yeah. or so, he was free. How many free blacks were there doing that here, 1765, 70, and so? Um, I'm guessing not many, Um I haven't got exact figures to, to hand, but I think we're looking at a very, very small number um, at, at, at that time. Especially, uh, I mean, talking about in, in London, uh, free backs, free backs at the time. There, we're looking at a very, a very, very small number. Um, and and as, as I mentioned earlier, that group of um, the Sons of Africa, that group, the uh, uh, you know, the majority of those were were, were former enslaved Africans who had bought their freedom. Um, or being granted it, or, or or whatever had happened there, but it's it's a, we're talking a very very small number of uh, of people 
at the time. And can you describe the iron muzzle? And do you depict that in your play? We don't actually um, depict the iron muzzle. What we um, mainly focus on is the whip. We really um, focus on the whip. I'm, I'm sure a lot of the viewers will know the iron muzzle is, is the, the, the instrument that comes over the face and, and covers the mouth. That's not something we focus on. We focus, especially at the beginning of our production, on the internal slave trade. So that would have been the very early trade. And what was used then is a lot of uh, bits of rope and different bits of of, of, um, of wire or, or, or various other uh, forms of material that would have been used to just tie the hands. It, was, it wasn't a very polished um, uh, system. Um, but he, um, he didn't really um, describe it in the book. Interestingly enough, Equiano, um, the iron muzzle, he, he mainly talked about, uh, about the horrors of the whip, um, and that's something that we wanted to, to really, really focus on. Um, but okay. but of course the iron muzzle, as everyone knows, is a brutal, brutal, um, brutal instrument. And is it true that uh, slavery never existed in London, although uh, it existed in every country that they colonized? Well, that 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 could be true. Um, well, there, there there has been different forms of um, servitude, especially in, in London, there were different forms of servitude. I know that for sure. But whether that's, well, it's been widely debated in history, whether it, uh, the scholarship, whether that was, uh, was, was directly slavery. But there were the various forms of servitude in, in, in London, and there always have been. Um, but there were, of course, slaves present uh, at the time. So there is a lot of research and a lot of work that's going on at the moment that's analysing that. But there were definitely different forms of servitude. Whether they were classified directly as slaves is, 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 is what's being debated, debated at the moment. Yeah, the movie um, Bell, I think, depicted that. And that's the reason her uncle uh, took her to London because slavery wasn't uh, didn't exist there. Now, was yeah. he kind of pressed into war? Was he on a battleship where he fought for the British? He was. He was. He spent a lot of time. Uh, there were various wars that were going on at the time, um, and he was. He, he he documents that quite a bit throughout his narrative. Um, but there were there were lots of wars that were going on, um, uh, and he, he does. He, he yeah, he does. He does document that, um, and that yeah, it's a fascinating. Part of the book, um, especially his accounts of the, of the various wars and that. So he does um, he does document that. Yeah, I believe it was a Seven Years' War, and uh, it, it British, was, yeah, yeah, you know, the British won that war, and I understand that he was not paid. Is that uh, yeah, factual? He didn't receive <laughs> any of the prize money. No, exactly. Um, well, yeah, there you go, and 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 a lot of these. As you say, a lot of the money that he uh, used to purchase his freedom wasn't, as you say, wasn't money that was from that. It was money that he had actually saved himself, uh, you know, um, over the three years um, and managed to accumulate. But no, it, it, it wasn't from the Seven Years' War. 
Okay, what was his duties on that uh, during that war? How did he? I mean, how did he fight? What was he allowed to do? Well, from my understanding and my reading of the um, uh, of his account, a lot of it was um, spent on 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 the ships um, and on the various vessels, um, and actually spending time with various uh, owners and actually understanding. Um, understanding the nature of war and, and the ships and the various weaponry that was used and really uh, being involved in the transportation of that weaponry um, and also, you know, um, understanding uh, the naval way of life um, and how that was used to actually um, assist in the war. So from my understanding, it wasn't as if he, it, he wasn't actually doing a great deal of on-hand fighting. It was more on the ships and looking at how that was um, going on and a lot of shifting of, of machinery and weaponry and you know because he was still very young at the time um, very young at the time of that um, so that's from my understanding and my my reading of the narrative okay and speaking of that narrative you would allow me I'd like to uh, read a passage yes. of that narrative I quote okay we thought by this we should be eaten by these ugly men as they appear to us and when soon after we were all put down under the deck again, there was much dread and trembling among us. And nothing but bitter cries to be heard all the night from these apprehensions, insomuch that at last the white people had got some slaves from the land to pacify us. Excuse me. And nothing but bitter cries to be heard all the night from these apprehensions, and so much that at least the white people got some slaves, some old slaves, from the land to pacify us. They told us we were not to be eaten, but to work, and were soon to go on land where we should see many of our country people. Um, so that's just a small passage from uh, his book, or his narrative and his description. Yeah. And um, and it seems like there was a lot of fear, obviously, put into that. And it would seem that the media today still instills fear, um, you know, that whites are to fear people of color, particularly people of black color, which isn't the truth. Uh, and does the media play that out in uh, in Britain as they do here in the United States? And still in this fear? Um, I mean, it, it is present. Unfortunately, a lot of it did begin um, during the period that, you know, I, I talked of earlier um, that was particularly bad in, in the 70s. Um, I know that from my parents and my grandparents that that period was, was notoriously bad for that. But you, there are still negative images um, of, of, of black men, um, uh, and and I guess there is still that paranoia and that fear that does play on the mind of some whites. But I I think that times after, whilst um, it is in the media and it is still there, of course it's still there and it's still uh, presented. But I feel as though we're coming. There is a lot of work that's going on behind the scenes to untangle those those images and those myths. And there is a lot of work on the ground in various communities. 
Um, and also in the media now, there is a lot of research and work that's going into that to try and dispel those myths. But of course it's there. Um, but I, from looking at it, from in my perspective, it seems as though as the generations pass, those myths are, are slowly to, slow, starting slowly to fade away. So it's mainly the older generation, so my parents' generation, that those myths still present themselves. But I guess they're starting to untangle uh, as the generations go on and on over here anyway. And uh, describe to us your uh, creative team, uh, those individuals that are uh, helping you put this together. Yeah, well, I'm the, the writer and director. Um, we've got our, our music is, is all original music, and it's composed by um, Jamal Hubonna, uh, who's a gifted musician, and he's created sort of the soundtrack that underpins it all. Um, and then our, our actors, we've got uh, Jonathan Luaga, uh, who's a great young actor, um, Marie-Helene Boyd, um, and Alessandro Babalola, who is only three people in the cast, um, and it's those three that play the roles. Um, and then assistant-wise, we've got Sean Edwards, who's produced all the costumes um, and helped out. And also the movement, so the middle passage part that I was talking about earlier, the ship and the unsteadiness of that and that journey is all portrayed, uh, was all created by Sharon Henry, who's our movement director. Um, and she's put that bit together, so that's particularly haunting in the production. So that's the team. Okay, and... Uh... In the UK, um, yeah. were there any revolutionaries like we have here or had here in the United States, such as a Frederick Douglass or an Ida B. Wells? And are there any tributes to those individuals and to any American uh, abolitionist in any of the museums in the great uh, UK? Yeah, there are. Um so Ida B. Wells, her, her, her work uh, especially is something that's uh, been studied widely. I mean, it's just we ha over here in the UK, I'm sure you're aware, we have a Black History Month uh, that's every um, October. Um, and Ida B. Wells' work was, uh, and her, uh, her book was uh, celebrated during that, that period. Um, I think a very strong uh, story, very strong resistance uh, text. Uh, but there are, um, there are other tributes, but... Um, Unfortunately, what tends to happen is because October is our Black History Month, people just tend to produce work that celebrates these figures during Black History Month. Uh, and then for the rest of the year, you kind of get a silence until the next October. Um, and that's why we, we, we deliberately didn't want to, to put our play on uh, during October. We wanted it to be able to be performed at, at all times uh, of the year so that people could appreciate uh, Black history and Black, um, black British culture. Uh, throughout the year, not just during October. Okay. Where would you recommend that uh, our listeners would go to to learn more about black history? Uh, various places. So uh, I would recommend SOAS, uh, the School of Oriental and African Studies. Um, that's a great institute. That's got a lot of reading material um, in there. And also the Black Cultural Archives um, in London. Um, that's really got a, a fantastic array of, of, of materials and sources on black British culture. Um, and there's a slightly smaller archive, which is the George Padmore Institute. Um, and again, that's got a lot of, um, a lot of source material and work on um, black British culture, and especially that period that I was talking about earlier, the 70s, uh, 70s and 80s, is very well documented there. So I'd recommend those three places. 
Okay. And how about we're about ready to wrap this up. Uh, what about contact information okay. for you? Any social media, websites, et cetera? Where can we yeah. learn more about you and what you're doing? Yeah, so our website is totalinsighttheatre.com, and on Twitter we're at total underscore insight. Um, so if you visit any of those, we've got all our information there, um, and there's some more information about our show um, and reviews and also the work we plan to do in the future with the production. Well, I certainly uh, appreciate your taking time out of your busy schedule. Adam Tullock has been our no, thank guest you for having here on The Gifts of Freedom. And uh, hopefully we'll get back together again and, and have a further discussion on uh, black history there in the U.K. and here in the United States. Thank you for joining us. That would be great. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Okay. All right. Thank so you. there you have it, folks. Uh, my name is Preston Washington again. I've been your host. Uh, you can visit us here at www.blackhistoryblog.com. And our shows are available on iTunes at no charge. And if you are a writer, historian, you got a story you want to tell, get a hold of our producer, Leslie Gist, that's G-I-S-T, uh, L-E-S-L-E-Y-G-S-T. And uh, we'll get you here on the Gifts of Freedom where we do Black History 365 24-7. My name is, again, is Preston Washington, and I want to say good night. Good night.